Hello, and welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio, Dispatches from the Verge. We are on week three of our Advent slash Christmas series. And this week, David and I sit down and discuss uh, the story of Mary and Elizabeth, um, Mary's uh, significance within the Advent time frame and uh, the spiritual life and uh, what that means for today. And also um, towards the end, we look sort of at the relationship of Mary and Jesus um, and sort of the um, important aspects of that. But before we get into it, uh, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering uh, for these episodes. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. Thank you. Or if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruin.com. Also, if you want to hear more episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, drcrpod.com is the place to go. Uh, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Um, word of mouth and social media really helps us out. So if you can share that with one friend today, um, that would be amazing. We appreciate you. And let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio, Dispatches from the Verge. Hola. Happy day, Mr. David. Yes, sir. How are you? It's the eve before Halloween Ooh, while we're is. recording this. For That's Advent. so funny. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this will air in December. You will, this episode will be the Tuesday before the Tuesday of Christmas. Yeah. So we're, we're what's it called? Backstocking them? Backpiling them. Yeah. Stockpiling. <laughs> Stockpiling. Stockpiling recordings. Um, so to start off with, uh, we're going to do the Annunciation, Visitation, or no, Annunciation, Immaculate Conception. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Visitation. Uh, and so maybe we can start with the uh, this idea of Annunciation with, with Gabriel coming to Mary, and maybe you can explain that a little bit. Um, to to start off the episode. Yeah, well, let me frame it as you know, an Advent is a time to to reflect on and enter into uh, what what a traditional what the traditional Catholic understanding would be. You know, I'm not representing them. I'm not paid by the the RC. Uh, wait, wait, you're not working <laughs> the for the RCC. Vatican? No, I'm not a Vatican, uh, uh, and nor are they trying to. Uh, Recruit to you. <laughs> assassinate me or recruit me. Yeah, none of those are happening. They're not trying to hire you yeah. or kill you. Not an important human being. <laughs> so, uh, but these are joyful mysteries or illuminative mysteries, and and so th- these aren't just things uh, to prove our faith is right and everyone else is wrong, and mm. the secular people are trying to destroy us. <laughs> it's like no, you're doing a good job of that yourselves. Uh, but these are these are mysteries, eternal mysteries that we are invited to uh, to enter into, and there's a you know there's a hiddenness to them that we if we give ourselves to them, and they will begin to open up to us, which and, can be scary for people. This idea of of mystery and yeah, because we all want to keep God in stained glass windows, keep those saints in statues, you know, and yeah, keep the, keep, uh, keep our, our heroes in stories. Well, and keep our certitudes like we've talked exactly, about. Exactly, you know, a safe God. Most of us want a safe divinity in our lives, you know. And that's uh, on our team, too. Yeah, yeah. Always, <laughs> God is always on your side. Well, no, there's both sides and no sides, as my friend Bobby Bird would say. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so so there are these three narratives in the Gospels that point to these joyful mysteries. And the first one, yeah, would be the Annunciation, which is uh, the angel Gabriel appears to this young woman named Mary uh, in Nazareth, which is nowhere in, you know, so it's like Chaparral. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Chaparral. I think there were like four or five Nazareths. <laughs> it was just this very common, tiny village kind of thing in the middle of, at the edge of nowhere. Uh, and tells her, you're going to bear the Messiah, and she's kind of 
Yeah, every young Jewish girl says that, <laughs> claims that. And uh, and she's like, well, I'm a virgin. How the, How is this going to happen? And he's, he says, well, the Holy Spirit is going to, to overshadow you and conceive uh, this child. And you'll call him Joshua, Yeshua, or the Latin translation Greek is Jesus. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, which means God will save his people. God will mm. save God will do the work of salvation. Uh, so she becomes pregnant, and she also, the angel uh, tells her that her cousin, Elizabeth, who's the on the opposite chronological scale as her, Elizabeth was She's much older, old right? age, uh, didn't, couldn't conceive a child all her life, and then, uh, and then through a miracle uh, in, her, in her elderly years, Mm. conceives John the Baptist and and that story's in the Gospel of Luke uh and uh you know it's a trippy story and so um uh, so I, I think it's a six month period of time and so I think we've mentioned this before in, in the whoever did the the liturgy of the Catholic Church and the, the Orthodox and then the you know John the Baptist feast day is is at the summer solstice okay and then jesus's birthday is at the the winter solstice so it's kind of an interesting dichotomy yeah so there's a nature thing going on as well and chronological time intersecting with eternity eternity eternal time not eternity i don't think that's a word (laughs) Uh, maybe we need an attorney we definitely need an attorney (laughs) for talking about eternity um and does the the conception through the holy spirit is it at that same time as Gabriel approaches, or is it considered a different event? The, say that again. The when the Holy Spirit, oh, the Immaculate Conception. Is it, yeah, is that at the same time as the Gabriel visit? Or yeah, is that more or less. Right? Yeah, so it's not. Emph- it's not laid out. It's so not to speak. emphasized in that sense. Right. But yeah, so the so the Zechariah Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist has already happened six months prior. Mm. And so then Mary heads off to go see her uh Elizabeth and uh and that's where the Magnificat comes. And that's the other third mystery, the the visitation, they call it, in artwork and you know, in, in, in literature and that right. kind of thing. The visitation. So yeah, there we are. And the Magnificat, uh we talked about it beforehand. Do you want to go ahead and, and just read it? Yeah, now? it's a very peculiar scripture it's probably an early christian hymn mm. uh it's the the it's the bedrock of prophetic judaism and so there and therefore the the cradle of of uh the christian witness and tradition um it's probably the most prayed i could be wrong on this but in in uh fixed hour prayer texts uh in all the traditions, Protestant and Catholic, it, that's probably the most read daily prayer. Oh, really? That there is, yeah. Wow. So I had, it's I had no idea. It's extremely important. Um, and and then just you know, and then picturing a fourth. There, there's a I forgot. I wish I had his name, but there's a, a political cartoonist, religious political cartoonist who who uh, uh, draws a lot of of these Marys. So there's a picture of her doing the fist in the air and she's mm. saying you know down with the rich and uh cuz it's it's a radical message right uh, you know and uh so this 14 year old 15 year old peasant girl in the ancient world is is the in her mouth is the battle cry for justice for all um, the ages right and so and it's carried on throughout the the centuries and the millennia. Yeah, yeah it's powerful so yeah so when she sees elizabeth and Elizabeth, you know, it's like they recognize each other and the babies recognize each other in the womb. Uh, and Mary's response is, uh, um, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaid. And for behold, uh, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is from generation to generation for those who fear him. 
He has shown the, the strength of his arm, but he has scattered the proud in the conceit of their hearts. He has thrown down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, mindful of his mercy, even as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his posterity forever. So that's a very peculiar it's amazing. prayer, you know, and, and so, and it's not just uh, specific to Israel, you know, right. this con- you know, that's why the church became known as the universal church, the Catholic, the small C Catholic church. It's a universal message uh, for the lowly to be brought up, the marginalized, the power comes from the margins. It comes from the bottom up. That's been the, that's the entire message of the gospel. Right. Uh, if you walk into an average popular church in America, you won't hear that. Right. Uh, you'll hear the opposite, really. Yeah. At least, you know, in America. Yeah, you'll hear, hear the opposite. Uh, God wants to make you a winner. The rest are all losers. And what what and, uh, prosperity gospel, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, there's which the prosperity too- gospel to its extremes in the, in the Pentecostal kinds of circles. But really, the rest of evangelicals, it's prosperity gospel light, you know, and and and, and it's kind of funny that way, you know. Uh, there was a book in the late 90s that was, our joke was, it's more popular than the Bible. And it was called The Prayer of Jabez, which was a prayer for prosperity uh, in the old, in, the, in what they would call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And and so it was it was prosperity light. It was very popular amongst Baptists and, you know. The ones that would speak against the prosperity gospel, even though they were adopting it in a lighter. Mm. And since then, they've adopted a lot of too many Christians, evangelical Christians, have adopted militarism, nationalism, patriotism, uh, patriotism, which and, we actually talk about in the episode we're gonna be released this week. Yeah, we talk about, or might have. Anyways, we talk about nine eleven. That's and how, right. how it gets adopted. Not so only this, by the country, but also by the by the mainstream churches. Yeah. So this Mary of Nazareth would see that as idolatry, mm. and it should be called that, you know. And so anyway, um. So this these three uh, stories or mysteries sort of wrapped up into the. Pre-birth, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the advent, pregnancy, the, yeah. the arrival season. Uh, maybe you could you could uh, elaborate on sort of the spiritual significance of them. Uh, maybe not not necessarily in a literal way, but sort of is in this um, deconstructive way of like. So me, being an average person in twenty twenty one, you know what. So what that Gabriel came right, to Mary, right. you know, what, how does that impact my spiritual life? Yeah. That's or, you know, or, or how could it impact my spiritual life? It seems so far removed, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is just my opinion. Well, I, I think using it as an apologetic to say, well, this proves in rationality that Christianity is the one true faith and, and the final say for everything. I, I I don't know. I think that boat sailed a hundred years ago, hundred and fifty years ago. Uh, maybe maybe even longer. You know. Yeah, and and people that. that would fight and die for which they have in in Christian history. And they, for, I mean, they're still apologists, right? They're yeah, still fighting yeah. for it. Yeah, using pure rationalism to prove a, a totally pre-rational and irrational faith. So uh, and and. Uh, you know, and transrational faith. And so I, I don't know. Good luck. Uh, it sells though, because people are addicted to certitude, Mm -hmm. but, and so, so if you deconstruct it, then it it just becomes an onion in your hand that you peel the layers out and then there's nothing Mm -hmm. in your hands left. And so, so if you ask somebody who was passionate about, uh, Mary was a virgin, it's very important that Mary was a virgin to give birth to Jesus or else the whole thing is off. Well, you could ask that person very simply, how has that really affected your life? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that doctrine is literally true or not. Uh, and then you could point to uh, 
the uh, Septuagint, the Greek uh, Jewish scriptures, uh, that that the New Testament uh, quotes from, uh-huh. and the Isaiah passage, the virgin will conceive a child. That it was a mistranslation in the Greek, and so it says it's actually young maiden, young woman, not virgin. And so some people say, oh, see, therefore that proves Christianity's false. Or the others would say, you know, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. You're, you know, you're <laughs> not. And so it's, so if you just keep it at that low level of religion, then no, it, it just falls apart and it's not. But if you look at it in, in a more, uh, like I said, approach it as a divine mystery, a joyful mystery, uh, then you begin to see something deeper going on. Uh, Maybe a way to say it would be there's maybe three stages to approaching these stories. One would be the mythological narrative, the mythological approach, which is uh, it's literally true. It's all true. If, if, if every single bit of it isn't true, then it's all false. And if, and if all of it's true, then all of it's true. You know, right. That kind of... Uh, Black or white. Yeah, black or white approach, which could be easily punctured and blown away. So then maybe, and maybe you start that way, because if you've grown up in church, that's exactly the way that you, you know. And a lot of people start there. Yeah, exactly. So you have a third grade understanding of of these things. There's nothing against that. But if you're 40 years old, you still have a third grade understanding of something, uh and you have the ability to not have that, mm. then it's just a willful ignorance, and you're basically, uh, I mean, you're a fool, mm-hmm. right? So uh, so, so a transition would be uh, to demythologize it, which, you know, teenagers tend to do that in early 20s. If, if you, you know, things are going, if your life is stable, you know, and you're, and so, so then you, you, in your black and white, immaturity you'll say well it's all false it's just all it was all based on a mistranslation and you just throw it out never think of it again right so that's the demythologizing stage and the third would be to remythologize it mm. and uh and that's not going back to the first one right it's 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 looking at what are the deeper truths that are at play here and how are these deeper truths uh piercing my own life mm. and piercing through my own life been there all along in my life and not and I didn't even see it that's what a mystery is, and so, so the so uh, the Annunciation would be the divine is always speaking to us. The divine is always sending dispatches from the verge. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. See what we did there? <laughs> uh, yeah, the divine is always sending messengers, uh, and it's always from the margins. Mm. It's always from the bottom. Uh, it's it's uh, it's so powerful to me who Mary and Elizabeth are. They're they're the nobodies of the world. They're just uh, the average average people, right? Yeah, like, you know. And Mary of Nazareth, this fifteen year old peasant girl, uh, didn't need an external authority to tell her who she was. That's a powerful truth. Mm. She she had an internal authority. I don't think. Uh, you know, to fit my narrative, I don't think it was a, a face-to-face encounter with Gabriel. I think this was an internal dialogue uh, because it's an inward authority that she had. When she says that Magnificat, my God, what 14-year-old says that? You know, right. The rich, yeah. your time is coming. We're coming <laughs> after you. And it's more than pitchforks. Uh, you know, uh, the powerful are going down and the lowly of the world are going to be lifted up. Uh, you know that's that's powerful stuff. This Extremely. cry for justice and uh, and equanimity and uh, uh, you know equality and those kinds of things. Uh, and so so that yeah. So I th- I think I described it last Advent. These 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 were people relegated to the kids' table of history. Mm. You know the, the powerful right. and the players. They're. Uh, they would never even notice someone like Mary and Elizabeth. Right. And here God chooses them. That's that's one of the interior messages there. Uh, and the, again, and they don't need an external authority. There's no scripture. There's no external book. There's no uh, organization. There's no panel to tell them. No one voted them in. Nope. 
that has an internal authority. Uh, and you can call them crazy and leave them alone and ignore them at the kids' table, or you could listen to them and become transformed and a follower. And that's 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 a powerful thing. That's what Advent calls us to. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then the overshadowing of the spirit, you know, it's from an empty canvas. It's from your emptiness. It's from your uh uh well the, well, the empty spaces of your life, the, the things that you don't wish to, you know, we notice a good example would be you notice the cup, but you don't notice the empty space within the cup. Mm. Not to get all tau on everyone there, but that's right, right, right. And that's that's kind of the virgin birth. Uh the power of the emptiness means that there's a potential, a potentiality that's infinite. Because there is an availability there. Yeah. And so that's, that's some powerful stuff. Um, so if you're in mourning, like I think we've talked about this. It's, it's popular right now when, for funerals. They, they refuse to use the word funeral. Right, yeah. And it's the celebration of life, which is fine, yes. But if you don't enter into the loss and acknowledge the emptiness of the world, the absence of this person in your life, then you've done them a disservice. And, and explore that absence and let that absence have its place. Uh, so it's an emptiness. It's you know, and it, and it, and it goes back to the original poetry of the book of Genesis that describes the spirit of God hovering over the chaotic emptiness, the formlessness of what was. Uh, what a what a beautiful phraseology that Genesis uses, and and it's out of that emptiness that creation is born, and so that's so in our lives if we allow it, and so that's the virgin. That's the mystery of the virgin birth, the empty canvas. Well, it, it's it's really amazing that you bring up this idea of, of uh, uh, not using the word funeral, but using the word yeah. celebration of life. Um, so last, so a week ago, I went uh, to a celebration of life. Um, someone I knew relatively similar age as me, um, passed away about six months ago from cancer Mm. and, uh, her daughter who I believe is 20, um, had wrote this, uh, this thing of just like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to just read a couple sure. of paragraphs of it. Cause it, it really encapsulates what you're saying as far as this idea of missing, like acknowledging the missing. Yeah. They, they're a missing person and we need to find them again. Blessing blessings to my beautiful mom, who she is for raising me to be a good person. I spent 20 years knowing that it was like to be loved by Alicia Salazar. That is the most beautiful gift I have ever received. I still think she's on a trip and will be coming back to pick me up and take me home any day now. Wow. I'd hoped I wouldn't have to write this for years to come, but that wasn't in the cards for us. I think of the fantastic adventures we went on and how many more we should have had together. Think about how we had intended to write this together, but she went quicker than any of us anticipated. This is just one more thing we didn't get to do. You know, and, yeah. and really acknowledging that that morning of uh, our yeah. time, our time's up. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's powerful. It's unbelievable. And so to give, yeah. So if you know, if there's a listener who's in mourning, the tendency for the people around you is to uh, they they probably want you to move on now, because because mm. these are uncomfortable th- things to explore. Empty space is not a space people want to explore. And so... Yeah, they want all the... So they want you to move on, and they want you... No, you need to take the time that you need uh, to uh, to explore those empty spaces and allow the spirit to hover over the formlessness of that and the loss of that and the, the emptiness of your life where that person was and see what might emerge. Because so, if you new don't... Creation. If you don't, it's going to come up eventually anyways. Right. This morning. Yeah. You'll end up in a neurotic situation where you're, maybe you're visiting the grave every day and staying there all day and you're just, and you're not living your life anymore. 
uh, you know, it could, it could end up being in weird places or you end up just cutting yourself off and, and cutting yourself off from that reality. Then you're, you're not present to anyone else anymore and you're isolated. And so that, that could easily happen. So this, uh, this, um, idea of sort of, uh, acknowledging or stepping into this, uh, empty space, empty canvas, um, because it's both things, right? With with every ending, there's a new beginning. Yeah, you know, and, and it, that's what that, the closing uh, closing time song says. <laughs> <laughs> closing time, <laughs> pack up your belongings. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't be. I wish <laughs> if we had any money, I would, I would, I would put it in the background right there. <laughs> I came, I I came of age it. in the '90s, <laughs> yeah. So this, it's in the 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 transmission of my brain. And so um, to, to just visit that a little bit more, but this, uh, this idea of the Holy Spirit, you know, overshadowing us yeah, or, or being yeah. with us, um, you know, it, is there an example in your life or something you've witnessed where um, that, you know, I, I think... I've, we've we've touched on it a lot, but I feel like your evangelical background kind of a, is a little bit more open to those ideas of of allowing the Holy Spirit in. Yeah, yeah, because of the charismatic aspect of it. Exactly, for right. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, I, I think even so, what would be what would be emptiness in your life besides? So it's not just relegated to the loss of human life. It's the loss of your relationships. Mm-hmm. Friendships die. Friendships end. Um, and that's a hard thing to deal with. Graduations. Yeah. These, these rites of passage. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, I think, I think we've talked about this, the, the, the stages of community in, mm. in Scott Peck in his book. Uh, I think it's a different drummer, uh, different drum, something like that. Something like that. You know we, we, I, am I always, yeah, we'll add it in at the. <laughs> I beginning. always jumble these things, um, but yeah. So the first stage of of a people getting together in any you know for a any kind of intentionality, you know whether it's a Bible study or a large church or uh, a Buddhist meditation group, uh, or even a, a collector of toy cars group. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it could be any when kind we of, get together. Any kind of meetup. Yeah, for for something. So there's there's the first stage, which is pseudo community, where we're on the surface with each other. We have familiar jokes, inside jokes with each other, uh, and then we don't we don't go any further than that. We keep it at pseudo, and, and a lot of groups it needs to stay that, that pseudo community. That that's what they were designed for. Well, I think too, it's for real community. You need trust, right? Yes. And during that pseudo community is an opportunity to slowly start building that trust amongst exactly. each other. Um, so then eventually if, if you're going to go deeper, then a conflict has to happen, a crisis of some sort. Um, and so most people have to, you're at a crossroads at that point of this conflict. So what we do is we usually withdraw after the, the argument, the conflict. So there's that third stage and, and I think he calls it emptiness. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but it's, it is this emptiness stage where anything is possible. So the, the group is either going to disintegrate, it's going to end, the relationships are going to end, and maybe that's appropriate, or, uh, or they're going to decide to push through. Uh, so there's this m- period of tension and emptiness, and chaos that the Spirit of God is hovering over, and then it can bring, and then, you know, the, the formula he gives, that it could break into a fourth stage uh, called intentional community, where we decide to move past this conflict. Okay. It may not even be resolved, but, it, but the, the, the life together, the, the togetherness of the, of the group or what, of whatever it is, uh, right. the relationships are, are worth fighting for. The friendships are worth fighting for. And that's what you're discerning in that emptiness stage. Is this friendship a friendship worth fighting for or is it a friendship uh, that I need to walk away from? Um, and so it's a period of, discernment and, and, and uh, uncertainty uh, of 
imp, you know, what seems impossible right. for the possible to emerge. And so it's, so it's that stage of emptiness in our relationships. And you may be that way in your career or in mm. your creative life. Uh, so, so emptiness isn't just relegated to, to the loss of someone in your life. It's, it's your relationships. It's, your, it's what you're doing with your life. And so in that sense, the Immaculate Conception is it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. <laughs> that's, right. what the, that's what the, 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 the gospel mystery is pointing to. You know, it's, the, it's the wider universal uh, mythology. And I don't, I don't use that as a negative. I, uh, I mean that as the mythology after demythologizing and after the initial naive mythology. Uh, I'm talking about you know, where the, the living truth, the living word of Christ which is what John's gospel describes him as, right? The right. living, the living word. And it's funny because I think the word miraculous gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. Uh, which kind of cheapens it. Um, but there are miracles in our world, right? Like right. that it those kinds of things do happen. Yeah. It's not, it's not it, you know, it goes back to that sort of yes or no, black or white, this right, or that right. sort of thing. It's like, um, just because you haven't witnessed a miracle per se, uh, or you're, you know, cause everyone, that's the other thing. Everyone has a different definition of a miracle. Right. So if it doesn't fit into your definition, then, you know, it might not be considered a miracle, but, um, there really is space in our, our 3d world, so to speak yeah. for this idea of miraculous things, uh, to present themselves. And, you know, sometimes they present themselves in everyday sort of ways. Yeah. You know, it's, maybe it's not a big, big over the top thing, you know, no. maybe it just, uh, who know, you know, you need 50 bucks to, to be able to get your kids to, to school because you're, you know, your gas tanks on E right. and it, it gets you to work the next day and, and the next day is payday. Right. right. So that, that 50 bucks gets you to a bridge, right. You know, and you tell someone that who's never had to worry about money, they're like, ah, that's not a miracle. It's right, like, well, exactly. no, if it's feeding your family and, yeah. and uh, just getting through 24 hours for that person, it is a miracle. Yeah. And a stranger came up to him and gave it to him. It was exactly right, right, right. Yeah. It was a Un random, unprovoked, very random looking yeah. thing. Yeah. It's powerful. And it happens all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, okay. So then sort of stepping into this, uh, the visitation, right? Mary and Elizabeth, the the children leaping in the wombs, yeah, and um, and sort of that interaction, uh, you know, what what, how do you see that deeper level, yeah, translating well, even to, just just on a literary level and on an art level, you know, icons and that kind of thing, it's it's it defines Western civilization. It's mm. it's it's a it's one of those beautiful stories in, in all of world literature, just on that surface level. Uh, it's because it means so much. There's so many multi-layers to it. And when you deconstruct it you know, from a literature point of view, it be, uh, all these jewels fall off of it mm. uh, and, and just go off in a different direction. So it's a multi-layered, multi-meaning uh, passage. And so, uh, yeah. So I think that's why it's so beloved in art, music, uh, uh, and that that sort of thing. Right. So, so yeah, so you have the older generation and the younger generation coming together. Uh, they're both pregnant with possibilities. One represents a, a very old tradition, the prophetic Jewish tradition, which is an, John an, the Baptist, exactly an ancient, an ancient tradition. The other is a new covenant, and they're and they're coming together as, as uh, cousins. And so, uh, the one, you know, we, there might be political, you know, deconstructions course, there right, too. Oh, well, John the Baptist leapt in the womb to sh prove that Jesus was greater. <laughs> and that, so there's political stuff from the early church there and, right. and, and its interaction with in Judaism or as Jews trying to figure this out together and, and not sometimes doing it well and other times not doing it well at all. So there's all kinds of things going on in this, this passage. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and there's, there's, a, there's a Pentecostal charismatic implication. You know, John the Baptist is dancing in the womb uh, oh, at the presence of Christ. And 
So uh, all really kinds of things. And so a dance, once you go to, the, to a, what a dance, the entire universe is dancing. There's a, a circular motion of gravity of every celestial body in the, in the universe. We are moving towards this uh, in response to, I guess, uh, this invisible force called gravity that we don't really know exactly what the hell it is. And some right. even speculate that the universe is like expanding and contracting, right? Like our lungs, right? Exactly. And so that inward there's movement outwards. in that. Yeah, there's an inward motion and an outward. You know, so it's all it's all there. You know, it's a great passage and to meditate on and give your life to, and it'll begin to open itself up to as well. And and late and like I said, in late in recent years for me, it's it's been the two marginalized people. Uh, marginalized genders, uh, you know, uh, female gender, completely marginalized in that world, in that ancient yeah, they were, world. Yeah, they were looked at as property. Yeah, quite exactly. Literally. And so, but they're the players in God's economy. They're the ones that are chosen in, in, by the divine. Uh, and again, it's an internal authority, uh, unrecognized by the world rulers, uh, whether they're religious rulers or state rulers. Or if they're uh, pop stars, nobody recognized them. Nobody even saw that happening. Uh, it was in a little, you know, town from nowhere. Not even a town called Malice. Uh, sorry, I'd <laughs> throw out a little '80s tune there. Uh, and, and they so, were the only two present, not counting the babies. In yeah, the exactly. And so, and yeah, and those that are in the demythology stage would say, well, then how do you get written down? And it's like, yeah, it's called a tradition. It's called a, <laughs> you know, this was probably a song. Uh, you know, the Magnificat was probably a, an early Christian hymn mm. uh, that they that they sung together. Right. Uh, a lot like uh, Paul. Well, Paul didn't write it. Paul, Paul incorporated an even earlier psalm uh, or, or Christian song hymn in Philippians, uh, Christ Jesus, although he was equal with God, didn't consider that something to be uh, grasped at, to be demanded, but instead he connosed himself, he emptied himself on, on the lowest form, being publicly executed for as a criminal. Um, yeah, he didn't make himself a king, a king of kings. Right. And what we think of as, as a king in the yeah. world. So these are the two. That's probably the earliest scripture, if you will. In that the, that in the hymn, Christian, the one I just yeah, yeah from Philippians, right? So it was probably already on the 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 Billboard charts of the early <laughs> church of uh, when Paul wrote it down in a letter okay. to the Philippians. So so they're already singing. So the, and it was already was a other common one, thing that they exactly. that they would have understood reading it off a piece of paper. Exactly, and that's the scandal of the early church. It was. Uh, Roman society was very, uh, they didn't take a dump without a plan. Another 80s reference to the hunt for Red October. Uh, but they, um, so everyone had to be in their right position that was given to them. So you're a slave, you're a slave. You're a, you're a land, you're a paterfamilias, you're a paterfamilias. You're, a, you're the, 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 uh, the matrone of, uh, of the, of the household, that's what. Right. So they wanted everything in order. They put their streets and their lights and you know and that aqueducts. They're very, very organized. Very organized, <laughs> orderly. That that's what they were really about. You okay, know? Uh, it was about order, and um, and here's here's the, the these people gathering and they're and they're flipping that order. So so you could be at an early Christian meal. So we've been in like say in a home. Uh, I'm talking about in the Gentile expression. Right. So that they might be in a, in a large home of someone, and they're eating together and next to you. And you may be a nobleman in the Roman government, but you're sitting next to a slave, and you're equal at this table. That's the power of, of the early church. Uh, and so there weren't any rankings in that sense. So there's this, there is, and so, and again, Paul... In, in his letter to the Galatians, there's no male, there's no female, there's no slave, there's no free. And you can just, obviously you can, you know, there's no insider, outsider, sinner or saint. Uh, all those dichotomies are erased because everyone is one at the, at the table. 
uh, you know, and, and he was talking about the Eucharist, which we've talked about. Uh, right. You know, the Eucharist, not just as a sacrament, but as a, uh, a literal meal that they ate together. Uh, so, so that's where the, that's where the Magnificat is coming from, that, that Christian tradition. Uh, that uh, modern theologians and and they 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 it gets labeled liberation theology like this is evil <laughs> right. communist thing, and it's and it's not. But it, but the phrase they use is God's preferential option for the poor. Just sounds smarter uh, to say it that way. But I would prefer that. You know, the Magnificat it speaks more clearly to me. Paul's kenosis him. Uh, and the, and Jesus's beatitudes, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, once you see that, it's it's on every page of the four gospels. Yeah, uh, it's just there. Well, it's, I know we've we've covered this countless. Well, probably not countless times, but I brought it up when I had the experience of reading, going through the gospels and reading them for myself the first time, yeah. and realizing how different the message in the gospels were. To what my understanding of Christianity was yeah. from sort of a, a pop, a, pop culture is not, but I guess popular Christianity. Yeah, popular Christianity, the industry, the Christian industry. Um, and so we did actually do a little bit of prep for this show. All right. <laughs> and one of the things, and I, you know, it, feel, it feels like sort of the next, uh, next step, but this, this idea of, uh, Mary was proclaiming and expecting something of her son, right? Some right. great, some great thing, um, and that's not quite how the the story plays oh, out. Oh right? yeah, yeah. I'm so, glad we. Yeah, so maybe you could you can touch on that because even Mary, this humble young woman, right? That yeah. is that is starts off as the blank canvas and and gets to be um, part of this bigger story that the. That that God or the universe has has brought to her table or to her house, um, so even she's like, oh, I you know, this son of mine will do great things. Right. Yeah, that's a, thanks for bringing that up. I totally forgot. Yeah. So there's the expectation that she has this prophetic uh, expectation within Jewish tradition, uh, and then there's what really happened. I think there's memes about this, right? What <laughs> yeah, people think this is and what it really is. <laughs> And so, yeah, so you you fast forward a little bit, and I think it's Luke's gospel. Uh, uh, her son goes off, Jesus, he goes off on an itinerant preaching gig. Uh, he's getting, he's getting a rock star status, you know, and she's, you know, and she reads like a gangster, right? So she's a gangster, the poor are going down. <laughs> right. Uh, she's got a gangster. The rich are going down. Yeah. I'm sorry, did I say the poor? You said the, the poor, poor are going The poor are moving on up and the rich are going down. The you poor know? are already down. Yeah. The richer. And she's all, eat the rich, you know? So she's gangster from Nazareth, straight out of Nazareth, right? And and so, so he's building up a, you know, uh, there's, uh, I forgot what the word is, buzz. There's a buzz around him in the region, you know, and he's, he's giving him free meals and free health care, and, he, and, and he's saying stuff. He's walking on water, yeah, making water into wine. And he's preaching her message, right? The poor are the ones who get the kingdom of God. And, and Luke's gospel actually has an anti-beatitudes. The rich, you're done. It's over for you, you know. And, uh, um, and so... Um, he comes, he comes back home and comes to the synagogue. And so she's, you know, you got to think she's very proud of him. And what? the expectation is huge. It says that, I think. And but, Jewish so, moms are very proud of their, their oldest sons anyways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Much like Mexican moms. <laughs> exactly. Or Irish moms. Well, no, they just hit you with a stick. <laughs> they beat you. <laughs> and so... Uh, yeah, so he comes to the synagogue, and she thinks a big reveal is going to happen. The fulfillment of, of this justice is going to happen, and he insults them instead. Mm. And, and, he, and, he, and he makes fun of them. He gets up there to read. It says that he goes up to read from the Torah, and all the eyes of the synagogue are on him, and there's this great, you can't hear a pin drop or a kid cry, and, and, he, uh, and then he reads the scripture, and then he insults them. And, uh, and then they... They get so angry that they are going to uh, 
to kill him. They're going to throw him over a oh, cliff. Right, right, right. And he escapes town. And so that's what the, the but you got to read a little deeper than that. And she had to stay in town. Right. She had to face these people. He humiliated his own mother. He didn't have, she didn't have the luxury to, to hightail it out of there. Yeah. Either. And it's just, you know, and Thomas Cahill's book, uh, the, uh, uh, what is it? The Everlasting Hills. Uh, he, he, he describes this scene very well. And, and at the end, nevertheless, because she's a mother, uh, She's there at the cross. Mm, right. She's there at his she's execution. One the, she's one of the few. Yeah. That are at- it's all women at the cross with John the Beloved as the exception. And yeah, and then and then uh, Michelangelo's famous statue, the Pieta, the the pity, the mercy, where she's holding his dead body. Oh, you know, it's right. a powerful. It's not quote unquote historical, right? But that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for mystery. We're looking for eternal truths. We're looking for infinity. And that's, yeah, Michelangelo carved that out of stone or marble or whatever it is. And uh, so at the end, she's holding the dead body of her son, laying him in the grave, kissing him goodbye. Uh, that's So there's the expectation, and then there's how, how it really now. ends up. And like James Cone, the theologian, says... Uh, in his initial mission, and therefore Mary's initial vision, uh, mission, and in our initial mission, we are we have to go to the cross. We have to be failures. It has to fail, and then ultimate success can come, which which will still not be the fulfillment of what you thought it was going to be. It never is. Um, right. It'll be much different. Yeah, than- like uh, the prophet Bob Dylan said, "Tomorrow is never what it's supposed to be." Um, so, um, yeah. Or as the prophet Conan O'Brien says, no one gets what they, everything that they want to get. But if you work hard and are kind, some amazing things can happen. So that's the gospel according to Late Night with Conan. <laughs> uh, and so, so to, to make peace with that reality playing out in our own lives, particularly if you come from the charismatic Pentecostal world because you're told god is going to use you for the nations they'll prophesy oh, over you right. in very sanctimonious low voice tones uh, a little bit of a trembling in there god has picked you out he's chosen you you're going to change the face of the earth uh, you know and, and uh and, and it becomes just an ego trip is what happens and it, and it may not be false what you heard but it's not going to play out the way that your ego uh demands that it play out well, it's such a it's such a true dichotomy, right? Because if you go back to sort of what you were saying about the Roman Empire and everything had its place, right? right? Every book was on the bookshelf just right. Not that the winners were winners, the losers were losers. Yeah. And so then you have the the visitation with Mary and Elizabeth with all these wonderful possibilities, and then you fast forward and Jesus is literally hang- her yeah. son, right? The 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 person that was in her womb is literally hanging on a cross yeah. in thirty absolute years public later. humiliation, public execution. Yeah, and she, you know, and I think we've mentioned this before. She and the other Marys at the at the foot of the cross. It's it's culturally strange because in that culture she would have been yelling out. That this is wrong. This is unjust. You know, this this is unjust. He's an innocent man. They would have been screaming that out. You see that even in uh, Middle Eastern culture today. It's you see right. that uh, you know mother crying out for justice and 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 raising her voice. And they do the opposite. So it's very strange. They hold the tension of the silence. They don't even attempt to explain what's happening uh, to this man dying on the cross. Uh, there's no attempt at commentary of explanation. There's just a holding of the tension of uncertainty and the emptiness of it all. And that's where resurrection begins to emerge, which is another mystery, right? It's not a literal uh, right, 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 black right. and white kind of thing. It's, a, it's an infinite, miraculous, uh, almost unexplainable thing, too big to be explained, you know, mystery. Uh, that that can be experienced, but not necessarily explained. 
Well, I think it goes back to that idea of apologetics that once you start trying to explain it in a logical way, it's like yeah. du- it's like dust in your hand. Right? Yeah, it's like exactly. You can't, you can't really grasp at it. Yeah. Um, or the wind, you know, any slight breeze is just going to yeah. carry it away. And it's usually, you know, apologetics are usually fought by people who, so they'll fight for the truth of the resurrection, but they have very little evidence that resurrection has occurred in their own lives. Mm. Very little transformation has occurred. Right. And they'll try to build it up, and it's and it, usually what it comes down to is, no, you woke up into sobriety. You were addicted to, you know, to usually drugs or alcohol, uh, and now you're in sobriety, but you really haven't taken that next step towards resurrection. And we can't really tell you why, because it's something to be experienced and not Right, explained. you can't force that on somebody. We can somebody. feel it. You know, it's, you don't really, you haven't gone face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus. Why? Because you haven't really experienced the cross, uh, because you want to be a winner still. Well, that's, I mean, I can't speak for other cultures, but within within the United States, that's that's what we're fed, right? Like this idea of always needing to win or always being right. on top. And, you know, even uh, part of our culture too is we love uh, redemption stories. Right, right. right. I think the famous, going back to me, like Robert Downey Jr., there's a picture of him in shackles, right? right, in, a, right. in a bright orange jumpsuit. And this isn't to minimize his No, those are great stories. Who but, you know, and that? then the next picture is him at one of the Iron Man premieres or something right. in a nice, you know, tailored suit and all that right. kind of stuff, Cleaned right? Up. And so it's it's like we love we love the redemption story, but it's hard to grasp the story of a young woman, yeah, an empty canvas of a young woman, right? And then the empty canvas of, or right before the empty canvas of a resurrection of her son, yeah, being killed by the state, right? It's powerful. So yeah, so it's not to minimize. Uh, I guess what Ken Wilber says, uh, the process of waking up and then cleaning up and then showing up. Now, that's a powerful thing, but the gospel takes it a little bit to an even deeper reality. Uh, And so, yeah, so again, not to minimize people waking up to whatever sobriety that they have, waking up to the people around you, to the life around you, and then cleaning up your act, so to speak, not treating people you know, taking advantage uh, of taking people, abusing people, yeah. and then showing up to the scene, to the world. Uh, but that's important, but it's not exactly the gospel in that sense. But I, I think it goes back to that, and and correct me if you you might disagree with this, but I think it goes back to that. We you know we've talked about like sitting in silence and prayer, and yeah. these spiritual practices are just fire drills, yeah, for when the real thing shows up, right? Like we can't really manufacture the real thing yeah and so i think there is something within that uh what was it up wait waking up cleaning up and showing up yeah just doing that every day is part of that fire drill yeah exactly for when whatever shows up shows up yeah exactly because you're not going to you know when you we've used this analogy before okay you could train yourself to not blink when someone punches you in the face but okay, <laughs> you're still getting yeah, yeah, punched yeah, yeah, in the yeah, face. Right. Uh, so yeah, so we're not talking about just pure discipline and martial arts here, because uh, no one does it well, and in not doing it well, that's where you, where the transformation occurs. Well, I think it 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 kind of fits in, but the when Jesus is at uh, the garden, right, and he's his prayers like. He has a pretty good idea of what's gonna, about to happen, yeah. but he he doesn't really know. But he he knows. Yeah, and it's like your will. Like, don't let this happen, God. But let it be your will, right? Yeah. Like he he knows the fire drill is coming to an end and the real the real show. But you know, and he, and even him, he's like, I don't I don't want to do this. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. not going to want to do it not. when it, yeah when it shows up in your life. You're there's uh, a, a huge. I mean, most of us won't even know that it's a it's happening, right? right like exactly. until it's it's one of those retrospective things. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. okay, that's what all those fire drills were for. Yeah, and it's like Richard Rohr says: you do it right by doing it wrong. You know, you, you anybody that has their life together, 
anybody that has everything is doing life well and you've got it all together, uh, what Jesus would say is that you don't need God. Uh, you know, you, the sick don't need a physician, or the, the sick are the ones that need a physician. Mm, the well right, don't right, need right, a physician. Right, yeah. So, so you've, you know, you're, you know, all right, you got your life orderly and it's well, and it's probably a very manufactured artificial life, most likely. Yeah. Uh, it's not that intentional life where, like Jack London said, where the blood comes to the apex of the the jugular vein, where the, where that blood is flowing. You know, it's not that raw wild life. Uh, that, you know, that kind of thing. So, so, um, maybe to close up. So when, when this episode gets released, it's more or less, I think 10 days before Christmas. So the short days and the long nights are upon us. Yeah. And, um, maybe, maybe just, uh, an idea or suggestion around a, a spiritual practice that someone could step into these last 10 days leading up to leading up to the the birth of Christ, right? Yeah. Uh I don't that's why you caught me off guard there. Maybe something off the top of my head, you could uh before you go to bed, go step out on your back porch or front porch if you have it or your apartment complex, the you know, the your front door uh and just you know, have the light off, and just sit there in the dark, and f- and let the dark uh, feel it. You know, feel uh, the dark and yeah, the cold. and the cold. You know, and uh, unless you live in Phoenix, Arizona, I guess it would, <laughs> it's uh, relatively. I guess cold. you feel it. Yeah, it's like wow, it's really cold. It's eighty <laughs> degrees today. Uh, yeah, your blood responds differently from. Uh, but yeah, feel the breeze, or if there's a breeze, and 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 just uh, you know, have that be present for that. Or if you want to do something more rigorous, be present for the sunrise and the sunset, mm. you know, and become, become aware of that feeling of, of darkness and light, that interplay of dark and light, uh, that kind of thing. So. And I think the thing that came to mind for me as we were having this conversation is look for those things in your life that are keeping you from being an empty canvas. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know those things that maybe are distracting you, or yeah, um, yeah that's that, a good point. That are uh, emotionally, you know, and and some of these things we can't just walk away from, right? Like, right. Life, life is life. But if there's something within within your control, maybe for the next ten days, uh, you know, you you investigate what those things are yeah. keeping you from being an an, uh, an empty canvas for the for the spirit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's really good. Maybe do a, a an inventory of things that you've deserted, because mm. John the Baptist appears in the desert, the deserted places, and then and then calls the community to come into that deserted place to be baptized, to be renewed. Uh, and so, what desert? What what relationships have you deserted, or practices have you deserted, or how do you feel deserted? Mm. Uh, and and and. Usually those are the places of humiliation and failure in our lives. So, and we usually, uh, what's the word? Steamroll over those things and pretend that they don't exist. Or throw them um, as far back in the closet yeah. as, as possible so, so we, we yeah. never have to look at that so again. So maybe, maybe be willing to revisit a place like that. There's a, there used to be an urban legend, but it turned out to be true. In the desert in Alamogordo, New Mexico, uh, the failure of Atari one of the, the ET the found yeah the ET game for the Atari uh, in the eighties was such a failure and they dumped thousands of the cartridge of, right, the, of right. the game yeah. in the deserted place in Alamogordo and then I think they they excavated it yeah. later and and turned out to be true so revisiting those places that you've where you've thrown the ET cartridges and just steamrolled over it threw cement over it and uh, and see see what might be there now. That would be an Advent reflection. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We got another one. Another one stockpiled, as we said at the beginning. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, next week, we will be releasing our uh, Christmas episode, if you will, and sort of uh, reviewing and, and the uh, spiritual importance of, of the arrival of, of the light and on the darkest day, if you will. Uh, thank you to Jacob Nedia 
uh, at Monk Drums. That's what you hear right now in the background. Uh, thank you for, to David Morrison and the Steels and uh, everybody uh, that has made Desert Rain Community um, possible. And you can learn more about that at uh, theruin.com. Uh, also, if you want to hear any other episodes of this, whether it's Dispatches from the Burge or Road to Desert Rain, uh, whatever podcatcher you use to find this or drcrpod.com, they're all, uh, dang, we'll have over a year's worth of podcasts when this one's released. See, we'll be... some, some cult stockpile <laughs> weapons. Our cult, we, we stockpile podcasts. We, we stockpile two guys yapping at each other. <laughs> Uh, So yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Happy December and we'll talk to you soon.